Hi there, and welcome to episode 33 of the ADHD Adults Podcast. I'm James Brown, and today for once, you can probably tell from my voice, I'm full of joy, as I don't have to spend the next 30 minutes or so just talking to Captain Balloonhead, Alex Connor. We have a special guest to help me stay sane. But before we introduce him, Alex, hi. Hello, James. Yes, thank you. And hello to all of our listeners. I'm saying hello normally, as I normally do, without showing off. Coincidentally, James, in this special guest episode, we are delighted to be able to talk to an absolute titan of politics, whose CV includes being the deputy leader of the Labour Party formerly, the parliamentary secretary for the Cabinet Office, deputy chair of the National Executive Committee, shadow secretary of state for digital, culture, media and sport. Can I, and... can I, can I just interject, way more importantly... Yeah. I guess, is somebody born and bred in, in Kidderminster, which is in many ways the spiritual and actual home of our <laughs> podcast and ADHD. It is, ladies really. And gen- ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tom Watson. Tom, hi. Lovely to meet you both. How are you doing? Uh, we're Very all right. Fun. I mean, normally by now I'm in despair because I've started this podcast with Alex, but um, you're here to buffer between the two of us to make sure it's not just an awful experience for me. But it's lovely to have you on the show. It's good to be here. It is. Thanks for coming, Tom. Uh, before we ask you know, why you're doing this, Tom, we usually have uh, a letter from a listener at this point. So I have one. Um, right, I'm going to read it out. It's not from, Je- it's not from uh, Robert James from Kidderminster, for before you ask. No, <laughs> because that would be a childish thing to do. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want James embarrassing me in front of my new friend. So we have a, a, real, a real message from an unnamed listener in New Zealand, unnamed because yet again, we forgot to ask permission before we started recording. Um, the, the letter says, uh, dear ADHD adults, my husband has been rather ADHD hesitant and keeps saying that he loves my son and I, and we are great like we are, despite the fact he gets frustrated at so much of me. He listened to you guys by mistake the other day, which most people do, I imagine. And he's now more curious. So hopefully you will help him accept we both probably have it too. Are there podcasts or resources for those with loved ones which strike a similar note to you guys? I'm from New Zealand and, and so, you know, it's, it's not as relatable for America. Thanks. You guys are changing my world. We um, will do an episode of what it's like to live with people like us. I, don't, I can't think of a podcast they, which is quite like us, James, about <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't think there's any podcast that's un- as unprofessional as we are no. for ADHD that's, that's as unpolished, which is our unique selling point, really. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm trying to read what you've written here, Alex, and it makes no sense. Um, <laughs> but anyway, thanks <laughs> thanks for the message, as always. We do love reading your messages. I, I, we love reading them before we read them out as well. Um, it's Alex's job. Actually, it's the only thing he gets paid for to respond to them. But moving on to the subject of the day, which is questions for Tom. Alex, do you want to kick off? Yes. Hello again, Tom. Thank you. The obvious question is why are you spending your valuable and important time with two idiots on our ADHD podcast? Well, Alex, it's probably, well, I know it's no surprise to you two that I'm a regular listener to the podcast and I read all your output. Uh, which, despite you both downplaying it in very comedic fashion, is actually incredibly helpful to someone like me because um, sometime last year I formally got a diagnosis of ADHD to confirm what I'd suspected, uh, and anyone that's ever known me <laughs> suspected would probably get it on for a couple of decades. Wow. I mean, it's... I yeah, James no, yeah, I'll go because I'm better. Um, that's that's really fascinating. What I found most interesting was you, you said that you'd suspected, you know, probably over the past two decades, and maybe others had that you had ADHD. So, what first made you consider that you you might have ADHD? Well, I think a lot of your listeners, ad, adult listeners with a diagnosis, will probably have gone through this experience that when when you get a diagnosis, I immediately fell into a period of self reflection, and there were there were kind of bubbles of memory of, of quite traumatic emotional experiences that um, at the time were unexplainable. But as soon as you get the context of ADHD, you understand what was going on. And for, for me, it goes right back to school, you know, 40, 45 years ago, sharing a locker with Stephen Wharton. I shared a locker with Steve for six years and, and his bottom half of the locker 
always had books in a really tidy order. His PE kit was in one bit. His mum's sandwich box was in the right bit. And mine was utter chaos. You know, it would have sort of decaying trainers and socks in there. There were sort of textbooks all over the place. And the first sort of experience was I remember really being told off by Mrs. Green for losing my maths my maths textbook three times and and this being such an issue at school that I, I was actually too frightened to go to school one day i was too i was over i you know you, there's that kind of a, a sense of adhd overwhelm where i couldn't explain to myself why this maths book kept disappearing um uh, and you know that wasn't normal behavior. I, that I, you know, and in the end, you saw. I just had a perception that I was a disorganized person, that I was an untidy person. It started to add to a narrative of, you know, laziness. Um, all of them false, by the way, because I, mm. I, you know, when I was focused on something, I obviously worked very, very hard. Um, and then you just go through those life episodes, you know, being told off by the general secretary of the Labour Party for having a mess. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, just little tiny little daily humiliations. That it, oh, we've all had that one. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, 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 that happened several times. But when you're an emerging adult, it's 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 more significant, isn't it? Uh, absolutely, absolutely horrible. The textbook thing, Tommy's. Did you wonder, used to wonder why? How did everybody else know what textbook to bring when they got them out of their bags? Yeah, um, I, I, I just used. To, it was baffling to me. Yeah, I, I mean, and it also sort of absorbing knowledge. You, you know, why why would I spend, you know, literally seventy two hours without sleep writing a history project uh, because I was interested in it, but then yeah. unable to read two paragraphs of hmm. you know the next history project because I wasn't interested in it. Absolutely, and, um, and I can't. You know, I couldn't. I could just couldn't piece it together. Um, and, and and almost you know you end up sort of thinking am I just being selfish? Am I, you know I find these things boring. You know why do other people? Why can't I, why can't I overcome the ability my just sense of inability to focus in on this sort of project? Um, and and it got to the point where I mean I you know the, you, I think a lot of people with ADHD they they get to middle age and they've got what they call a, you know, almost very deeply ingrained false narratives mm. about themselves. And there's a phrase I used about myself um, until my 40s, you know, um, I'm 55 now. I used to describe myself as the hardest working, laziest person I knew because my self-identification was a lazy person. But I was working 100 hours a week. There was never an off switch. My phone would ring at 5.30 a.m. in the morning and carry on ringing until midnight. Um, and I, I, I couldn't. You know, I just couldn't comprehend that. I, see, I find that really interesting. I'll just pick up on one thing just to confirm that Alex's internal narrative was completely correct and he wasn't a real boy. Um, but for everybody else, yeah, you do build this false narrative that you're... Yeah, I also had ADHD, though. <laughs> well, and other things. <laughs> and other things. Um, yeah. What fascinated me there, Tom, was that was almost the, the, the two things sitting in your head at the same time. You felt lazy, but you objectively knew that you were a hard hard work was there any kind of internal conflict or or any even acceptance that you were a hard worker at any point i i, I mean i sometimes would argue with my, my inner voice would argue with myself and i'd sort of try and contradict that deeply ingrained sense of you know it was a sense of inadequacy really um and um you know and it and it created in me a, a sort of reactive character i think you know so if in a work environment, because I was disorganized, if I was in some way sort of slighted or, you know, chastised or, or judged, it would actually just make me work even harder at other stuff. Um, and, I, you know, to try and prove myself or, or to try and prove someone wrong in that. Um, and, of course, that's very unhealthy, isn't it? Because you end up yeah. punishing yourself the most. And the, you know, the, your biggest critic is always yourself, isn't it? Um, and... Um, Actually, when I went on a health journey, you, you know, I've written a couple of books on how I'd sort of lost weight and rid myself of type 2 diabetes or at least got it back into control. Um, I started to think about these things mm. in conjunction. I th thought about my health journey and then I thought about my inner sort of conversation. And it was only then 
that I could be a little bit forgiving to myself. Uh, and actually, I before I had a diagnosis of ADHD and started really reading into it and understanding it, I, I kind of had a moment in my very early 50s where I realised that though I was sort of moderately successful in my chosen career, um, I'd got there by reacting to events, you know, re reacting to growing up in Kidderminster, a, a parochial town in <laughs> Britain where there were no opportunities. Yeah. Sort of deliberately leaving for greater opportunity and then getting to London and reacting to these you know, public school educated liberal elites who were patronising me in every environment I worked in and trying to work harder than them and prove myself. And it was only in my early 50s that I realised I didn't really need to prove myself to anyone anymore. And then from then on in, I was going to make positive choices and, and, and you know, the things I I wouldn't react to events. I would mm. positively try and change events. And, I, you know, you, you honour that more in the breach in your daily life. But if that's the approach you take, it, it gives you a little bit more bandwidth to start dealing with some quite deeper issues. And, and it was only then that I thought, well, OK, let's explore this ADHD thing a bit more because I... Over the years, even people have said, you know, I think you might have ADHD. And I read, obviously read bits about it and thought, maybe I should just check out whether I've got this. Did you, do you still have those feelings of, of the inadequacy? Objectively, I'm hardworking, but then when you can't do something still, because all of us are still like this, aren't we? Every day we can't do the hoovering or whatever it is for us. Do you still have those? I, I, I can still have days where I'm very harsh on myself. But I, I, I thankfully, because of support networks because of coaching because of self-awareness because of reading because i'm very honest with my family and we've had a lot a lot of discussions about it I, I i am kinder to myself and 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 my loved ones are kinder to me most of the time um so i still have days where i can't do chores um yeah. uh, but i you know i'm less i punish myself less and then i try and reward myself more uh, and this comes from actually my health the, the sort of little habits i've taught myself mm -hmm. for a health journey um rewarding success is um is is an important part of this so so in my scheduling um you, you know i have little chunks of the day that i call boring time and they're only tiny little chunks 15 minutes maximum because people with adhd will be chuckling at this you can't really yeah. get more 15 minutes <laughs> no. and in that 15 minutes i do domestic chores right and so if, even if I just manage to do half a bowl of washing up yeah. and then go upstairs and put the towels away and then remember to put a bin bag out, that that's I reward myself for that. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's a win. It's that a huge win. win. Yeah, that's a win. That's a win. And of course, most people <clears> will be thinking, he sounds like an absolute crank doing that because that's just normal. <laughs> but when you've got ADHD, to be able to yeah. just do the basics, uh, yeah. that's a good day at the office for me. They weren't on this podcast, Tom. Yeah, this. Exactly. <laughs> Tens of thousands of people listening to. I'm a monster. I'm a monster. Nice. I, I, I really like that you use terms like I'd be a little bit forgiving and moderately successful, which is what we hear from ADHD adults all the time. And I love that you talk about coaching because I wanted to recommend to you actually that there are good coaches available. They're not, <laughs> they're, they're not all. And I, I, I've read the references. Fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for those people listening, they probably will realise that actually I'm getting coaching from James, which, which was serendipitous, isn't it? Because we it, in the I was reading. I know. The side but, yeah. We, we kept it up. When we when we first chatted, it, it it just seemed mad that we're kind of roughly the same age, both from the same time, both have ADHD, both have so many similarities. Obviously, I'm far more successful externally than, than you were, Tom. But, no, I mean I left I, le I left Kidderminster to improve myself and ended up in Oldbury, which is a little bit different from, from well, the liberal well, elite in London. Well, I did the same and ended up in West Bromwich. It so did. It, that was the other thing. The yeah. weird thing is that I'm in the next um, the next constituency to the one Tom was MP. Well, for years, it's just, it's it's, it's mad. It's anyway, Alex, Alex, I believe the next question is yours. It is, Tom. So, okay, you decided I need to get this checked out. How did you go about getting a diagnosis? So, I, I mean, what actually happened was was also serendipitous uh, to look at a sort of black country. Um, in the end, the thing that spurred me was I read a piece in The Guardian by Adrian Childs uh, where he was basically talking about finally getting a diagnosis. And I, I read his op-ed and I thought, you know what, I could have written every word of that. 
Um, it, it was literally, you know, I mean, I just, I laughed at it. It was so ridiculously close to my own sort of life experiences. So I basically texted him. I, I know Adrian because he's basically, a, you know, obviously a West Bromwich Albion fan. So we would occasionally meet each other at matches when I was the MP for West Brom. Um, and he said, well, this is what I did. Um, ring this person up. And that's what I did. Um, and I, um, so I, I, I mean, I probably, probably just out of support for the people that I actually rang, they might not want me to use their name, but I rang, I rang someone who gave support to people with ADHD. She mm. referred me to someone that could give me a diagnosis. Um, and I paid a bit of money for it. Uh, but I now know there's different ways to do it. Um, well, first yeah. of all, I now know that if you want to do it on the NHS, sometimes you've got to wait for five years and that's just a nightmare. Yeah. That you've got a right to choose that there's a site called Psychiatry UK that could obviously fast track that. Um, mm. And had I known that then, I would have taken that route. Because um, in the end, I did it. Um, it cost me more money than it should have done. And, yeah. um, you know, I, even then, I because I'm so... I was sort of dipped in and then jumped out again. It took me a few years to sort it all out. And we and we hear that we hear that a story just like that so often that a first of all people don't really if people hear that the waiting list is so long and one of the most common questions and Alex we do need to work on this but obviously I keep forgetting one of the most common questions I get is can you recommend a private clinic because I've decided I, I can't wait and there are so many out there that offer. A range of different services but are often not always upfront about what's included so they may say you'll get a diagnosis for 600 pounds but they won't necessarily then titrate you onto medication if you go back to your gp with this letter saying this 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 person has adhd the gp will just say and if you're not titrated you go up to the back of the list with the local services for them to titrate you see it can be frustrating just for some people to spend all that money and then feel that you haven't yeah. actually got, you've got the, you've got the diagnosis and that can help you emotionally but you, but you haven't got the support yeah and uh, and actually i didn't really know about titration until um until i spoke to you james you know yeah. i mean that was um did you hear that al that was praise for me <laughs> oh tommy you do not know what you've done <laughs> well, you, do just, you do deserve praise because you, you, you help me, oh, just, you know, you so, me so, it all. i'm so i feel so that. sick yeah <laughs> we're good good um so you got the diagnosis how do you think if at all, that's changed your life. Because for most of us, you, you go through this period of a, a serious identity change. You, for years, yeah. like you say, you've had this ingrained, I'm forgetful, I'm useless, I'm lazy, I'm I'm rude, etc. And then all of a sudden, you've got a, a reason for a lot of those behaviours. So how did diagnosis change your life or how you approach your ADHD? I, I, think, the, I think the two significant things for me, um, my, my family and close friends... Um, a very honest conversation with them that usually says, look, I just want to let you know about this formal diagnosis of a thing called ADHD, to which their immediate response universally is, tell, tell us something we didn't know. <laughs> uh, but actually, then when you, when you actually talk about how you feel about it, mm. you know, what those experiences have been, you, you know, what it means, it, 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 it allows them to be more forgiving. Um, and then yeah. to be, you know, just knowing that you have good days and bad days, um, you, you know, that there's some days you're in a little bit of sort of mental paralysis, stasis, uh, yeah. you, you know, you've left another suit of clothes, a case of clothes on the train to Edinburgh, um, you, you know, you, you, you've lost your flat keys, you, you know, you know, you're supposed to put the bin out, but you just completely forgot. Um, yeah. There's, a, there's a, just a litany of misery. You can, you can lay, you know, small little things you do wrong. Um, but, that makes them more forgiving. But of course, what it also means is you can be more generous to yourself. And, and, and for me, that's, yeah, that's almost, you know, if you, if you can be kind to yourself, it just makes life much more tolerable, doesn't it? Um, and, and that's really what it's helped me do, I think. It does. We, we've, we've started calling it emotional acceptance, blah, 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 because in every episode we'll say the most important thing is to get to a point where you accept you've got ADHD and therefore you don't self-chastise for these behaviours that, you know, we, we've spent years self-chastising. And I, I, First of all, I think it's really, I'm really happy to hear that 
kind of your family and people around you were accepting because that that doesn't always happen actually some people will no. say to their family i've got adhd and because of the genetic component to adhd sometimes family members can just absolutely you know gaslight it and say not at all not a chance or ev everyone's like that everyone's you know. like that yeah, exactly. Because because the whole family grew up in an environment where they all had ADHD, <laughs> yeah. so of course everyone's like that. But yeah. it, but it's love. It's lovely to hear. And you're absolutely right. One of the key things with getting a diagnosis and the support of people who are close to you is that that understanding. They'll they'll get you more. They'll understand why you do the things you do, and that's massively important. And, and you don't have to gaslight them as well, Tom, like, which is what I've done for years before diagnosis is tell, well, it's quite normal what I'm doing, but I sometimes can't, you know, do five seconds of what is quite normal, you know, and it wasn't normal and I, I don't do that anymore. And it's hard. It's like they say to, you know, like you, I, I remember you have these really sort of slightly weird conversations like, why do you always leave the knives at the bottom of the sink? You do, you do the whole of the washing up, but you never do the knives, right? Because the knives you do last, uh, and you know, if the phone rings halfway through doing the washing up, <laughs> three hours later you forgot what you were doing, and they yeah, get home. Yeah. Um, all all those little unexplainable things. Yeah, uh, they kind of just get it a little bit more. But, but this, yeah, I think I said to you the other day when we were chatting because Tom and I chat. Oh, we're you know we're genuine <laughs> genuine friends, unlike unlike you. But I think I call it something like the heaviest penny that ever drops because it really is That's when right. it when it when yeah. it drops all of a sudden it's like oh my god everything makes sense all of those things that yeah. happened make sense and that is good in a way if you can accept it but it is it's also challenging but like you say the, the key really is having people around you whether it's your employer your your partner your your family idiots like Alex having them to support you. And there are weird, the heaviest penny that ever dropped. I, the, one, the weirdest thing for me, in my 20s, um, I used to think that I might have a wedding phobia uh, because there were five, or, you, you know, like you get to... We both have well, as well. Well, your sort of friends start getting married. Um, uh, and um, so I was invited to a whole series of very close friends' weddings, you know, the full day, the lunch, mm. the afternoon bit. And because in your 20s, you're busy, you're doing things, you've got an active social life. I basically never got myself to these weddings on the mm. day. You know, like I woke up late, I've got the wrong train, I couldn't find my car key. You know, and and, it, and this happened on sort of four or five occasions mm. on, a, on the bike where I missed everyone's weddings, which causes huge, huge offence to the people you care about. Um, it's unexplainable. Uh, and so, you know, you just give elaborate excuses about, yeah. you know, catching malaria <laughs> or something. And, and, <laughs> and, but, the, but the only way I could explain to myself was there's some kind of mental block that I've got. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe you can't get to this wedding because you just can't cope with the idea of getting married. Um, and it, so you do end up with these slightly warped views of yourself until you can unravel it all and realise you just can't get a, get a, the right trade on time. You do, and that, and that unravelling can sometimes take a while. We've talked before about weddings because... I won't go to them no simply because the thought so any of my friends that want to get married apologies in advance well, actually my brother-in-law is getting married dave i am going to that wedding um because i because He's i love <laughs> um but the thought of sitting on a table with eight people or nine people i don't know and having to talk to them my social phobia is so bad that i would go to weddings and just sit there and stare forward and not look left or right in the, for the fear that someone might catch my eye and say so what do you do then and then i'd have to speak to him that it, for me it was terror it was just an unsafe environment but i, it's, I yeah it's, it's funny because fast forward sort of 20 years from there my I, when my friend gloria and james got married i literally got a text off gloria and she said we'd love you to come to our wedding um you know it starts in bradford at lunchtime and this is what we're doing she said shall i just put you down for the evening party and uh and I, and I sort of went past, oh, thanks, love. I'll be there in the evening. You, you know, she sort of yeah. Yeah. She gave me the option. Uh, and That's I'll lovely. And uh, 
in one sense that's your friend's understanding you in another it's it like is. a deep indictment of your own ability to sort yourself out but it is isn't it and most of us with adhd would most of us with adhd would take the second view and think it's a deep indictment rather than there's somebody being they understand and they're being accepting it's so easy yeah. to focus on the negative I, b I believe alex the next question is yours it is um to tom i'm nearly 10 years post diagnosis and all those self-reflections they never stop in my experience you know it's still every day i think oh of course that thing from 10 20 30 years ago so thinking about the past see how i seeked professionally into this so you've had a in your like incredible political career were there any time we, we don't do adhd as a superpower on this podcast because most people just find it a pain in the arse yeah. but can you think of any times when your ADHD, the fact that you had it, guided what you did, even even though obviously yeah. you didn't know you had it? it, it it's funny, and I'm still working through that. There, there, there are, there are. Um, well, firstly, I think the, the the job of an elected member of parliament um, it sort of lends itself a little bit to people with ADHD in the sense that no day is the same. Um, you know, there's this very, you know, there's a kind of rhythm to the parliamentary year and the parliamentary day, um, but but there is there's always action. There's things happening. There's there's events that are unfolding that require you to respond to them quite quickly. So it, it's very often quite an exciting uh, environment, which I, you know, for for the people that you know understand ADHD is probably where you get your dopamine uh, from. Yeah. But, but actually probably more for me, it meant that if when there was a sort of an issue or a policy area or a piece of legislation that, that had my interest and my focus, it, it meant that I could really drill down into detail. Uh, and I guess that the experience for me, um, w which was good and bad, was the phone hacking scandal in, mm. in 2010, uh, about, you know, about 12 years ago, where there was a a vast amount of data and information uh, and a lot of connections that needed to be made and that kind of sense of hyper focus where you you know everything was blocked out but for me that was like an episode of hyper focus that you, you know i'm not exaggerating probably lasted a year um and, and so there were very very you know negative things that were happening as well as positive because obviously if you're blocking out every other area of life uh that's oh, yeah. quite hard but it did mean that i got you know i got through a vast amount of information very quickly in some kind of order that started to get to you know what was quite a big british scandal at the time um yeah. so so i think i think those kind of you know you you can deploy hyper focus to political effect Mm. Although I wouldn't wish, I wouldn't wish it on anybody really, because it's very draining in the long run. Yeah, um, not being able to choose what you hyper focus on. That's the if, yeah. if you're lucky enough to to happen to hyper focus on what you're supposed to be doing. It's a yeah. If it happens to be a high order issue, rather than for yeah. me, I realised my hyper focus would very often take me to video games that would leave me sort of sleep deprived for four days on end. Um, and you, you know, if there's been period, I mean that. Even now, that could still happen. That's why I tend to avoid the kids' consoles as much as I can. I have, a, I have an addiction to them that, I, that I, I've been uh, cold turkey for about three years. It's very, very horrible and difficult. Anything, I'm sure Candy Crush. I'd like to say we talked about this before, but you don't play good games, though, do you, Al? It's probably probably online chess, isn't it? And <laughs> I did, I did that genuinely <laughs> can't, can't go near it. I mean, it, absolute nightmare. Yeah, it's, I think we, it's really common. We impulse bought two Oculus headsets, which we now haven't used, obviously, for the last six months because we thought they'd be amazing. We can both use them. We both used them once and yeah. haven't really used them since. But, yeah, that the hyper-focus thing is something, and the reason people often see it as a superpower is if you can hyper-focus on the thing that's your job or your passion, like music or work, then brilliant but there always is a cost whether it's lack of self-care whether it's ignoring your partner whether it's yeah. your physical health so even if even if it is for some a superpower you know it, it does come with negatives I think as well, the cost is it? always relationships it, it, yeah. because pe yeah. people it's always relationships those people yeah. around you they cannot understand it it's like they're talking yeah. to you you, you know I, I it's almost like i'm watching a movie when i'm describing this you know i yeah areas where you're in the room 
there are people you care about. They're having very serious conversations with you. They're trying to get your attention. They're looking you in the eye and you're literally pinching yourself because your inner voice is focusing on work and you cannot give them the attention they deserve uh, in that moment. Um, And that's a very painful thing. You know, it's very painful. It it is. There's there's a lot that I feel shame about, but even even now when I hyper-focus largely on this on this work that we're doing with the charity and with the podcast and Mrs. ADHD is struggling as, as she does as somebody who's waiting for a diagnosis of ADHD and is perimenopausal that I can sit there and spend hours doing this stuff while she's clearly upset. And I've not even noticed it. I remember the, the, tra- the trousers story when I lost my suit trousers at Aston university, still haven't found them, never turned up and had to go down to the houses of parliament. And Sam had been amazing in supporting me and getting me on that train. We got on the train and she was obviously flustered. And the first thing I did was write a seven tweet thread on what had just happened. So I spent 20 minutes crafting this thread because I thought it was really important while my really anxious and stressed out wife was sat next to me and I didn't even know she was there. And then when I clicked send, I looked at it and thought, oh yeah, I should have probably said thank you for getting me on here and and sorry for putting you through all of that but i was just so hyper focused and got to write this thread because it's really funny and cannot i cannot comprehend why she stays with you james but no honestly mate there's i don't get it she's got very low self-esteem that's all i can mm. say it's the only thing it can be Bab. right so the next question um we've we've taken a little bit of inspiration from our friends over at adhd as as females um laura and dawn because they've recently asked us on their podcast do you think adhd has cost you anything so when you think back to your life what what could adhd have cost you yeah well um (laughs) it cost me the classic university education mm. uh, so so i mean the thing about adhd is it you, you know if you really overanalyze it you think where would i have been if i've not had it um you, you know I, I don't think i would have had an excited life and uh it, you know the, the two beautiful kids i've got so i'm not mm. i don't want to relive my life but yeah. i would definitely you know succeeded academically um more than uh, more than i did um i would uh i mean there's always a cost on relationships uh and you, you know um it's it's painful for your loved ones mm. i'd have probably had strong you, you know easier family familial you know siblings and parents better relationships there um I, I, I mean, when everyone in their fifties reflects on their life, they, they, they'll always, you know, whether you've got ADHD or not, you always reflect on things you could have done differently. But, but I think the inability to, you know, focus on very important, um, you know, aspects of love or academia are probably the two areas where you fail most with ADHD. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 <clears throat> I really kind of feel that it resonates. I got a two-one in my degree, and somehow, just to Alex, look at that Alex's face there. Alex, he <laughs> proudly so has. Alex, he proudly has his first class degree certificate from Birmingham <laughs> University. He used to be up on his office wall. I don't even know where my PhD certificate is because um, somehow I managed to stumble into getting a PhD, but it was just being in the right place at the right time. But that, but the relationship... But, but, that, but that's not actually true, is it? It's like you don't, you, you, the flip side of this is you, you, you don't stumble into a PhD. You work really hard and are probably really flipping more troubled by it because you did lost the primary notes and you'd have lost the audio recording of the person you were interviewed or whatever the, whatever you were doing it would it yeah. was much harder to get there but you'd managed to overcome those things so you, no, you know, you're punishing yourself too much there i know that's I think, it and he, do, and he does i don't like to say something honest and nice about james but he does i mean we it's easy to do that but we both like you have to hyper focus on winning if you're doing a PhD with ADHD, and that is, there's yeah. tremendous personal cost to that because the actual day to day isn't a good fit. But James, yeah. would you agree with that? Is that? Yeah, yeah. I was lucky that I did my my PhD at a university that's not that highly regarded. He says not wanting to name them, and therefore 
you know, there wasn't a lot of oversight. It took me years to do it because there was a big problem. So it, it, it was an ADHD PhD. It took me nearly five years. They're, no, they're normally three years. And I had to take a seven-month break because everything went wrong. And looking back, looking back, laboratory science was never the career for me because you'd have a protocol with 20 steps. And I'd do step one, two, three, then five, then maybe 10, then realize I hadn't done step four and think, <laughs> I'm not going to tell anybody this. I'm just going to do it and say it didn't work. And then obviously bl blame the enzyme that somebody had left out or whatever. Um, yeah. Equally, the, the relationship things resonate so hard. I know it's hard to believe when you see this face, but I was single for 10 years because of my RSD. I was so scared of being rejected that I would never even approach the possibility of speaking to women because, of course, they're going to reject me. So for 10 years... I was, <laughs> um, Alex is probably going to laugh at this, by yeah. my own choice, I was celibate. Mm -hmm. I just yeah. decided... Second choice, to be fair, but still. Yes, it was, yeah, second choice. No, but I just, I, I didn't want to engage because, you know, everyone's <laughs> going to reject me. So I, I'll, I'll get in there first and I'll reject them by just not speaking to them. So that, yeah. that you know, I, listen, I've ended, as you said, I wouldn't want to go back and relive my life because I am massively punching with Mrs. ADHD and, and she's just incredible for me so it's led me to where i need to be but when you look at that that bumpy road of ups and downs and what it's cost it's always interesting i think i think the sort of but the slightly more interesting question is what would have happened if you'd have had your adhd identified when you oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. this is why you should have written the questions tom because they would have been better than the ones that um, <laughs> alex and i wrote <laughs> it's not true but I, I mean so the of course the immediate thing i now know uh, I mean, there's a subtle relationship between ADHD drugs, which you guys know a lot more about. And, you know, I've just been through a titration process, but but obviously, you could have you could do a lot more boring time mm. tasks when you've got medication. Um, I mean, I can just I can picture days at school where my mind was just away, and had I been medicated, you know, I, I wouldn't have lost my maths book. My my locker mm. would have been tidy. I would have got my homework in of time more often than not um you, you know what, what is and if you aggregate that across the nation what is the productivity deficit for the nation this is where the politician would be thinks about yeah. it <clears throat> you know every every politician i've known for the last 20 years has talked about the need to improve uk's productivity yeah. you, you know you could definitely do it by attacking something that costs 10 percent of the nhs budget which is NA, which is type 2 diabetes yeah. Which is <clears throat> yeah. but with adhd you, you know you look at all the numbers you know prison population people dropping out of school you, you, you know there is there, there is there are numbers there where how do we identify? well it's it's been done tom and it's about eighteen thousand pounds a year per person with unmanaged adhd there you go i, I mean <clears throat> You know, if it's that significant, yeah. it's the sort of thing. It's low-hanging fruit for a politician. You, yeah, sort of thing where a, a, a subcommittee of a of a cabinet committee could put in different arrangements, and all of a sudden we were a more productive nation. Um, uh, and you know, it seems to me that one of the part of the reason I'm with you guys today is, you know, I do know how public policy is 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 framed and developed and implemented. And, you know, if I can use my experience of 30, 40 years in politics to try and move this agenda on, that's what I'd like to do. Uh, and that's why I think what you're doing is so important because there's so many more people who are still, you know, of our generation mm. that were undiagnosed. The condition was not understood in any depth back in the 70s and 80s and early no. 90s. Um, you know, we could still help people. It's vastly underdiagnosed still, despite what letters to the Guardian repeatedly say. I that moves on nicely, actually, Tom, to the question which you pretty much answered. But I wonder if there's anything you could add, which is because of your background in policy and change and so on, and because ADHD is clearly something all three of us are very interested in and, and guided by. What what would you like to see change then about ADHD in adults in the UK, or, or how could we go about changing it? Maybe. Well, I certainly think. Um given what medication and support can do mm. to make an adult you know a more productive member of society or you know just a happier person to work with a 
to live with, to share a community with, um, you know, someone who's actually more focused on doing more things more often. Um, you, you know, the easy thing is to get rid of the backlog, get the di- get get the you know, give make sure that people are given an early diagnosis should they want it. You know, there's a whole framework you put behind that. You know, how do GPs identify it? What you know, how, how do you put support networks in place? Um, I, I certainly think this. You know, there's always a debate. I, I read a lot of articles with very concerned people saying, um, you, you know, we shouldn't medicate kids in school. Well, I, I can tell you now for one, right? I, you, you don't have to give me the evidence base. If you'd mm. given me Ritalin when I was 12 years old, my life would have been considerably easier than it actually was. Um, and so I, th- I think sort of, you, you know, while schools are much better at supporting kids and identifying kids now, there's still work to be done there. And actually, because of some of the work that you two have done, um, the numbers, if you look at the prison population and, and, and the number of people with sort of probably with ADHD mm. in prison, and then you look at literacy rates uh, of, of people in prison, I think there's work you could do there. And the honest truth is, um, you know, it's it, that would be a very easy thing to fix with what is a limit, you know, what wouldn't be a great extension to the public purse, I suspect. If it's going to be benef- like directly financially beneficial in the relatively short term. It, it is. Um, so, just quickly, he says, forgetting where he is in the script. Um, <laughs> script, last, Tom, can last, you believe it? I know, yeah. It's, I mean, in the loosest possible use of the term script. Yeah. You, um, so you've kind of agreed to be a trustee of our charity. So the question is, are you mad? <laughs> no, uh, but I hope I can hyper-focus on it. It's <laughs> really useful to you. Um, no, because I think it's important. I, I, I think... Um, I mean, I'm so grateful for the support you, you've given me personally, James, to just help me understand my condition. So I'll just take, you know, answer, the, answer the, all those questions that you inevitably have. Um, you know, if we could scale that, uh, yeah. you know, and just help people in their 40s and 50s who are thinking about whether they've got this condition or, you know, have recently been diagnosed, then it... it at an aggregate scale, we'll just end up being kinder to each other. And that's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? Um, so I'd love to help the charity. Um, and, you know, whatever way I can, um, I'm going to give my time to it. Um, and I hope we can grow it and increase understanding, and, you know, help signpost people to get the support that they deserve. I mean, that's the plan. And we're so grateful to have you on board. One of the things that mentioned earlier was about that social power. And one of the things we're very passionate about is there are groups, uh, women, uh, non-whites, for example, who have a, a bigger barrier to overcome when it comes to getting diagnosed, largely because the tests were developed in you know young white males. Also because um, females tend to internalize a lot of their associated symptoms when they're young, so they don't get spotted, don't play up like boys. So then they, they mask and go through years with this issue. And then it's often at perimenopause or menopause when their hormones change that they struggle and it's the same for um for people of color that the system isn't necessarily set up to 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 uh, assess detect and support them and i think if we can use our social power um to help those groups that would be that would be incredible i think it was you that told me james that in in young people diagnosis is either two to one or four to one boys to girls nine nine to nine one, yeah one to one. some, some so people say adults, six some people say nine it's huge though yeah. but in adults it's one to one so yeah. there's a lot of young girls slipping through the system very early isn't it absolutely um, yeah. and, and I, I i've got the inattentive bit of adhd and i would imagine that that's harder to identify or, it is it is or, or actually easier to ignore if you're a teacher if you've got a kid wildly out of control who can't sit on the chair rather than yeah. a child staring out of the window which i used to do a lot of yeah. you know, um, then then, it, then you know you're less likely to act if you're a teacher aren't you but even the hyperactivity um symptoms in in women and some some men as well come out as sadness instead of you know physical yeah. behavior and, and we need yeah. to spot that it's so important 
Yeah, and that, and, and do you think that's do you, do you think because I remember doing the sort of the standard questions. Um, do you think the framing of the questions needs to change so that you you're a little bit there's more subtlety to the questioning and because um, you're you're right. Um, I could see where 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 it wouldn't elicit an explanation of what's going on. Yeah. So the yes. first thing I'd say, yeah, the first thing I'd say is that. One of the things we talked about before is that people with ADHD have poor metacognition. That means we're not good at thinking about thinking. So the typical self-report scales that we all do before we go to the doctor and that we do through titration, you can literally give a different answer on Monday to Tuesday. Because yeah. if you think, well, hang on a minute, you know, am, do, am I often driven by a motor? Yes, I am. But then the next day you might think, I don't know, am I? Maybe <laughs> someday, maybe someday. Compared to who? exactly so and this is this is the thing isn't it it's a little bit like when you go to any doctor and they ask you where's your pain from from one to ten now for me ten is a bear eating you or being dipped in a vat of acid it's not yeah. my back's sore but many people will say oh it's ten today whereas yeah. i'll say well it's maybe a six it's very bad but it's not being eaten by a bear and it's a yeah. little bit like that is it you're given these boxes to tick in you think well is it all the time is it often is it sometimes and it's the same with the diagnostic interviews as I mentioned, I, I didn't fill in two of my sections. I couldn't be asked. I was, was just about to say that. It's... He put, Tom, Tom, James put not applicable to two things that are fully, because <laughs> he got bored, right? <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, and I, I even put in the form as well. I've walked away from this form five times in the last 10 minutes and had to come back because it's so boring writing it. And this, yeah, but because there's no objective test, there are tests, there's something called a QB uh, check, which, um, can be used in children and adults diagnostically it's not maybe useful it might be useful in titration so it's an objective test of your attention um, and what we really need long term is to have more really objective measures because this is one of the reasons or one of the, the the vehicles we can use to then quieten he says very gently the people that say adhd isn't real those people that that kind of think no it's just you know we all do it and you you know we're all jumping on a bandwagon. The day that there is a diagnostic test which can be applied is a big middle finger up to those people that say well, ADHD isn't real. Yeah, I mean that is. I mean the idea that it is. I mean you, you know, I mean if you've got ADHD, yeah. Well, well, but that's it. Any, any, yeah, yeah, anyone with lived experience of it will tell you it's real. Alex, yeah. I think you are have the next and final question. I like that you're um, triaging me into my questions. It's good. We should always do that. Thank you. Uh, just to ask Tom, really, is there anything that, that's upcoming for you that you'd like to tell us about? Anything anything recent or interesting? Well, I, I, I mean, I basically think you guys should write a book on adult ADHD. Um, uh, and I've got a book coming out on my health journey. I, I, I've written three, I've published three books now. Uh, the last one was a political thriller. The one before that was a book called Downsizing, which told the story of how I lost eight stone, increased my cognition, reversed diabetes, and basically had started living a meaningful life again. Um, and I had so many letters and emails about it that I've mm. written a, an update to it, which is more of a blueprint of how I did it and giving people ideas. What's and it I, called, Tom? It, it's a rod for my back. It's called Lose Weight for Life. Um, oh, okay. Oh, um, interesting. When you're 55 and you've put a bit of weight on in, in lockdown three, <laughs> you should be eating cheese. It's yeah. a bit. It, that's <laughs> terrifying in itself. But I mean, it's yeah. the idea that actually, when it's the same with ADHD, um, it, it's always the journey, not the destination. And, yeah. and you've got to realise that if you if you are going to be trying to lead a healthy lifestyle, you are losing weight for life. You, you're going to put a bit on, but you've got to find routines and ways of getting back on track um and that's coming out in two weeks so um uh, it's a very good motivator to get back in the gym after a lockdown so that i've been in the gym three times a week for the last six months to try and pull a few pounds off and get back on track um and that's you, you know when that's out of the way that'll be a great relief to me thank you Brilliant. it's on our list isn't it james the book we have started have we yeah, it's the chapter list you're supposed to go through. It's, oh, yeah. It's, it's oh, yeah. on the agenda. Oh, Tom, we have a meeting. Yeah, he, doesn't, you, he barely yeah. attends. But the, yeah. the title should be The Heaviest Penny That Ever Dropped. Uh, it's, uh, oh, yeah. You should definitely call it that. It's, it, I like it, yeah. And it's important because, I, you know, you, I, think it, I think your story and the story of the people that you pulled together in, in, in the 
group um, they'll resonate with so many people you, you, you know and um, people's personal testimonies will, will help people start their own for me I think brilliant thank you so much for sharing that um, we've just got time to Alex's dismay to we play can't a quick, do this play a quick, yes we can to play a quick game of what's James lost forgotten or mislaid this week and what we're going to do is I'm going to I'm going to pit you against each other so I'm going to give you there's three questions and whoever gets the closest number wins and because there's three questions there can only be one winner and I said to Tom earlier Alex Tom is playing for the people because I think the people want you to fail at this game <laughs> so so, so so question question one and Tom gets to answer first for this question you'll get to answer okay. first for the second one we all know that making a cup of tea is my kryptonite now on Thursday last week how many attempts did it take me to make this this is this and it's the highest number that day but how many attempts did it make me take me to make and drink one cup of tea tom go first okay it's got to be a high figure so i'm going to say 11. oh i'm gonna i'm gonna go five yeah, I don't I, think I, James I, can count past five. So, no, see, this is Alex's approach is always uh, based in an insult. Well, the answer was nine, so Tom went wins round one. <laughs> so that's that's one nil to one nil to Tom. Second Tom, question, I hate this Al game. Alex. Alex gets to answer first. Um, I lost a pair of glasses within thirty seconds of entering the house two weeks ago. Still haven't found them. Um, how many pairs of glasses have I had to buy in the past twelve months alone? due to losing glasses alex first five five and tom four the answer seven so alex alex oh. wins that point I'm, I'm, yes I'm come on gutted gutted right okay so that's final question lot. that's that's a big adhd tax there uh, yeah i know it's oh terrible. it really I, is i I'm, I'm not joking i walked into the house and i still don't know where i put them down so final question tom gets to go first this is the decider a few months ago i told alex i'd cured my domestic anxiety and no longer needed to drink etc <laughs> to get through an evening the question is how many days did this last so how many days did I manage to cope without having a drink in the evening because I'd cured my domestic anxiety? Okay. Three. Tom's gone for three. Alex? One. The answer's ten. Ha! So Tom wins. <laughs> okay. Technically, I've got... win. Well done, okay. Yeah. I've got no faith in you, so you that's really, why. You really haven't. So, so Tom, I thought I won was an overestimate, James. Yeah, well done. So Tom wins, and therefore Alex doesn't get a point, so that means you've got 12 out of 23 or something else. So well done. And that wraps things up nicely. So I'd just like to say a huge thanks to Tom for coming on the podcast and for all the support and, and guidance he's, he's given us over the past few months. Um, this was episode uh, 33 of the ADHD adults podcast where we got to exclusively talk. Um, talk, talk exclusively, James, only Captain Kirk splits infinitives. Come on. Honestly, every time we got to talk to Tom Watson <laughs> about his ADHD, his career and future plans. Tom, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks Tom. Thanks both. Keep on doing what you're doing. Brilliant. Thanks. If anyone wants to get in touch on the socials, as always at ADHD adult UK, we'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Bye all. See ya.